I truly love coffee, like yeah. a lot. Yeah, you're a coffee guy. Love the smell, love the taste. I love the like ritual the beans. of making it, dude, yep. getting some fresh beans. I've got the stupid expensive burr grinder, right. the whole fucking thing. I think, honestly, I think I'm going to start just drinking decaf, which is Whoa. like the ultimate the non-alcoholic beer of coffee. The, the, the O'Doul's of the bean world. <laughs> yeah, the sharps. The, the near beer. Yeah. Buds podcast episode 124 nice even number I, I love even numbers i was actually kind of thinking about that as we we're doing it too like even number i have i don't like to say i have ocd i don't like to ascribe actual medical conditions to myself that i don't have i have some ocd <laughs> tendencies for right. sure one of those is that i'm obsessed with even numbers i always have to make numbers right. even in my brain i do a lot of counting but i was thinking about next week 125 even though that is an odd number is a very satisfying number that's a good number so we'll we'll get to that next week this is episode 124 i'm henry that's dave what's up this is our podcast let's do it symphony of corrections here is your weekly reminder that cables are tone tubes and here is sophie sniffing on dave's coffee right now because she wants to get a fucking little caffeine buzz i just want to take a little second here to thank some thank some of our listeners thank you specifically thank you. for listening to this right now but also just a couple people that ha- have reached out here i wanted to say first of all uh shout out to our buddy dave's buddy in particular brady reaching out to us about um the story that we told last week of the fucking jag off that uh we thought tried to, was trying to rob me he also thinks that that man was trying to rob me uh so just i appreciate the edification and letting yeah. us know that you agree also he said he thanked us for some because we provided some tips and things that you can do to be a little more safe when it comes to making yeah. sa- making these deals and he said that he, they were actually things that he, he's going to use himself in Dude, making deals nice. so thanks, love brady. to hear it thanks for re- reaching out brady awesome. also i actually quickly i gotta grab my phone really fast um, anyways, we're back. we're back. I wanted to grab this screenshot because another one of our friends and listeners reached out, and I did, and I just it's our it's our good friend Matt Barber Kennedy, our favorite Brit, one of our favorite Brits. <laughs> he sends he sent us a couple funny things. Um, first of all, he got the White Falcon, which Ooh. he sent me a picture. Oh my fucking god, Dave! I got to show you this. Look at his collection of Gretches. Oh Jesus! This is not as interesting for most of our listeners. Go to Matt Barber Kennedy's Instagram yeah. to see this picture. Just five fucking gorgeous Gretsch guitars right there. But there are a the couple Falcon other right things. The, the Falcon with the it's got the um, the V. What does he call it? The V cut Bigsby. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told us a story. He was telling us a story about actually um, making a deal, selling selling a guitar, and he sold it to some dude in Hollywood who plays music for TV and and stuff in Hollywood. And I'm not going to say his name, but he said his name, and then he just said dreadful name and i'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just like only so, only brits can get away with saying dreadful dreadful name sounds like he does magic tricks on a cruise ship or balloon animals oh my god anyway enjoying the podcast got my son listening brooklyn love that as, as a side note if you like this show why don't you tell one of your musician friends about it because yeah. maybe they'll like it too yeah and and it's something that comes out every monday you can have it on in the background it's fucking free people yeah. it's free. also again got the gretch here, the last thing I want to say about it, and I feel like he he is one of us for, for making this exact statement. He goes, here's a Gretsch collection. Probably these and the Gibsons will be the ones I'll have till the day I die. Ellipsis. Unless something better comes along, <laughs> exactly. which is always yep. the case with our with us gear nerds. So thanks for reaching out. Any again, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you're thinking about the show. If you've, if you've got any feedback or you just think we're dickheads because uh, we are, let us know. Let us know. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, again, also Spotify. 
Apple, subscribe on the things. Yeah. Go do that. It helps us. It's easy. It's, it's really easy. And then you just get a notification letting us letting you know on Monday when the new episodes are out. Follow us, Instagram and Facebook. Lots of good stuff there, especially on Facebook. Uh, here we go. Got some stuff. Let's do. Let's get into BFI, GFI. Bet, little, a little bit of BFI. I just want to give a little RIP. Lee Scratch Perry died this week. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've got to be honest. I'd always seen the name, and I know that I'd heard music and such that he had done. But much like the Charlie Watts passing, it sort of encouraged me to, to, to dig into the discography, do some mm-hmm. listening. There was some wild, awesome reggae stuff in there. And it was like, you know here in 2021 listening back on that stuff might not seem like that big of a deal but when you think about what life was like in like the 70s in jamaica this was revolutionary music so i just want to give a little bit of a a, a little background on him for anybody who doesn't know lee scratch perry visionary master of reggae roots uh often credited with really making bob marley famous Mm -hmm. because um he uh, did a lot of those early recordings at his studio called Black Ark in Jamaica. Although I guess the, when I I don't know the exact detail, but supposedly not only did he kind of make a fa- him famous, but he also kind of fucked them over a little bit with like some money and stuff. Mm. I'm not exactly sure what that happened. Was the times uh, he had the studio called Black Ark, which uh, he burned down himself in 1983 because of bad vibes. Oh uh, this was Keith uh, Keith, you know Keith Richards called him quote the Salvador Dali of music. Yep, he's a mystery. The world is his instrument. You just have to listen which that's, that's an, awesome an amazing quote. quote. Yeah. Uh, he used to apparently blow marijuana smoke smoke on the master tapes because that would add some sort of mystical qualities and to it. it. Did. He treated the studio like a living breathing thing with reverbs and echoes. And that's, that was kind of one of the hallmarks is that dub slap sound. Mm-hmm. A lot of people send back to, to, our buddy scratch um you know he did records with the clash uh that's right in the same in the same year that he burned his studio down you remember the story how paul mccartney got arrested with the uh suitcase i think it was a full of like seven or eight kilos of marijuana no there was a story when it was when he was making mccartney two uh he got arrested back in the uk flying into the uk with it was like eight kilos of marijuana in a suitcase suitcase. (laughs) and that was coming from uh, Lee Scratch Perry. Because, like, why waste it, you know? Well, and that was when he was, like, having his sort of, like, awakening in that regard. Uh, and, uh, and they recorded... Paul and Linda had recorded two songs at Black Ark in 1980. Perry himself sent a letter to the Japanese Minister of Justice. Oh, that's right. He flew to, to Japan with it, got arrested in Japan. Oh, I did hear it, yeah. Sent a letter to the Japanese Minister of Justice after he was arrested <clears throat> for carrying 7.7 ounces of marijuana in his luggage, arguing, please do not consider the amount of herbs involved excessive. Master Paul McCartney's intentions are positive. Oh, so like true. And I want to close it off with... Uh, with a with a quote from scratch himself where he said i am an alien from another world i live in space i'm only a visitor here beautiful i think that's something we can all sort of ascribe to okay that's that um i've got a a gfi right here and this is something that you actually posted on facebook this week okay and this goes to a certain special 1960 Gibson Les Paul standard burst oh my that came out you sent it to me i sent it to you and then you posted it i had to it's the rosy burst it's known the cleanest cleanest version of that guitar i have ever seen literally preserved in a case so the story is that this 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 woman rosy i don't you know the story didn't say what her last name was and i'm not sure if that's just to like preserve the family's privacy or something yeah, probably. like that but apparently she got this guitar in the 50s obviously or no it was a 1960s so she got it in the 60s hello hank uh she played it in her three-piece band called the Rhythmettes, and there's a fucking amazing. There's picture. an accordion, drums, and the, accordion, drums, and, and then, then her holding the Les yeah. Paul. They played for like four or five years before she had kids, and then literally put the guitar back in the case, never touch it again. Then her granddaughter 
very recently started playing guitar and was like, Grandma, Grandma, play guitar. Can I borrow your guitar? And they take it out and it's a 1960 Gibson Les Paul Custom Burst. Les Paul Standard Burst. The cleanest you'll ever see with a matching Gibson amp, the hang tags. Everything Everything. looks like it had basically just come off the factory floor two times, probably. And well, she played it for some years, but she just like babied it, and then and then it hasn't been touched since like 1964. Yeah, and so now I I didn't see a price on it. I think you have to contact the guy to get the price, but that guitar is and setup is I would imagine at least three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I would say at least least three hundred. And and just the fact that there you have a picture of. Just the original owner, who's a, a grandma now, which is just so badass. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Like, you just find out that your grandma was in a band in the 60s, yeah. and she played the coolest guitar that's ever been made of all time, and and has it still. And in the most, the perfect condition in the world. They probably. must have been like, they must have taken that thing out and been like, when did grandma buy a, a burst reissue? You yeah. know, like, when, when, did she, when did she buy this, like, uh, custom shop R, or RO or something, you know, and a Murphy Lab, and it turns out it's a, one of their real deal originals. What's so cool about that story is, like, we, we hear these now less and less, you know, because of the market, because of yeah. internet and all this. We can look up things and find out what they're worth. Well, and there were only, it was 1,712 made from 1958 to 1960, and some of those were gold tops. So right. imagine even if half of those so how many were still burst? around. Yeah. No, I'm saying like even if half those guitars are accounted for right now that we're talking about less than a thousand guitars period yeah. so when it comes to a matter of supply and demand which is exactly something that we're going to be coming back to in the main meat of the show later on so stick around the value makes sense to me I yeah mean, it's it's insane yes you can buy a few houses for that but can't you can't find any more of those guitars because they just don't exist anymore. that's the thing it's like to sell that would even be it would just be weird. Yeah, it? and they did. And but it, you think about it, that's life changing money for a and family. And is it for sale? It is. Okay. Yeah, through that through that collector, and he's he's one of the the biggest burst collectors. I can't remember the name of the site. It's like True Vintage Collector or something. Maybe like Jobo that. will buy it. You know, Jobo's already called on it. He's got a finger on the pulse. He's yeah. got like ten of them. So, <laughs> and that's not even an exaggeration. Yeah. So that's that. Um, ooh, here's a little tip. We've talked about this specifically on the show before, but I learned a new wrinkle to it. So Gibson, I mean, I, we've talked about this a little bit. Gibson is killing it with the video content on YouTube right mm-hmm. now. Lots of free, amazing, really, really high quality 4K, beautifully shot stuff. And they, they're doing a series now with their master luthier, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but you'd probably recognize him. He's got a shaved head and glasses. And he, and I, and it was a short video, so I, I clicked it, you know, something that I, I thought that I knew everything about already. Turns out I didn't. So we've talked about this before when, if you have a, um, your strap pin get uh, stripped out on a guitar and you need to replace it or you want to put strap locks on mm-hmm. your guitar, there's the famous the old method. trick of the dollar or toothpick, right? Yeah, sure. Well, there is another little wrinkle to that. First of all, he, in, in sort of like an insider guitar tech joke, he said that guitar techs refer to toothpicks as dual taper ended luther uh luthier dollar rods <laughs> just great. to just to like you know really overcomplicate d- overcomplicate it. it here's the thing so the and, and i think i've actually shared this tip on the show before we've talked about it you if you don't know already you're you know you've got you've got some stripped out strap pins put some wood glue or elmer's glue don't use super glue because that can actually interact with your finish you, well uh, wood glue or elmer's glue you can wipe that shit yeah. right off no big deal right. put that on the toothpick shove it in there Use a little tack hammer, like hammering in a little bit. Try to get another one. Same thing. And you use the toothpicks are better because when it's got the taper, it 
kind of can work itself in a little bit. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that I always did wrong, or I guess not wrong, but not as right. I used to let the glue dry because I was like, well, I guess it makes sense. You want to have like the the tight bond. He said that the master luthiers do still, they'll screw the strap pin in when the glue is still wet because it actually acts as a lubricant for the screw. So it'll allow you to get in more easily. It'll make, it'll still make a tight bond. And you'll um, still be able to get the screw out. And you'll still be able to get it out if you need to. So do it when it's still wet. Never, never knew that before. Uh, glue still wet, screw it right in. Uh, I, I think the last time I actually did that, I didn't even have glue, and I just used it anyways. And it, it did work. I yeah, mean, and it it's the glue nice will create a slightly tighter bond, but yeah. it's it is not. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. But and and it's all wood, so it's yeah. it's not like you're doing something wrong. Or and and he did it on like a a nice Les Paul. So it's, it's oh yeah. people do this on the most expensive guitars in the world. This isn't something you Yeah, have I don't to think it's going to devalue the guitar. It doesn't. Anymore. And that's, he specifically says that. He's yeah. like, every guitar, it's like this changing happens strings. sometimes. Yeah. It's just, it's a little mechanical part. It's it's not a, an ideal, perfect design. So you're just going to have to fix it right. after 10 years or something. And that's the way to do it. Cool. Do it with a little, a little wet glue. Um, wanted to mention this. Uh, Bill Finnegan, Finnegan, a.k.a. the Klon guy, has, as of today, launched his official first YouTube channel. And this is interesting because, A, it sounds like he might be announcing something in the way of a new product, which the man has only ever made the Klon Centaur. That's it. Um, But, B, he's going to get into, like, very specific tonal circuit things with it and i am just so here for it because it's always been he's gooped the circuits you know it's always been kind of like this like keeping it under your hat hidden thing even Mm -hmm. though there are literally thousands of clones of that pedal out there in the world yeah they've navigated through that it's going to be really interesting i'm super going to watch just to hear the man himself talk about that that's really interesting so as of today it hasn't happened yet but like in an hour so by the time this episode comes out you'll be able to go and watch the first episode i think he's treating it sort of like a live stream but it'll be archived is he going to manufacture more pedals then well he makes the ktr which right is uh, exactly the same circuit as the old horsey you know the silver and gold ones were they're just he makes them in small batches by hand so they're hard to get and and as soon as they get on the market someone puts it on reverb or ebay for more money right and he even prints it on that's my favorite thing about the pedal is that he even prints on there it's like you know the the craziness that has happened around this pedal is not my fault essentially it says it on the pedal itself because like like, i'm not trying to be like i'm not doing this on purpose so um yeah i i'm gonna check that out i mean you know i love the youtube stuff Uh, a couple other things here um before we get into something very specific oh yeah just wanted to kind of touch on this the new drake record came out today and we had talked about this like drake versus kanye Mm -hmm. blur versus oasis thing um they didn't release on the same day so they did not kanye came out on sunday of last week today's friday drake record came out i've listened to well see that here's the thing i haven't listened to the the entirety of either because they're both super long can we stop with the 30 track record dude the kanye record is like 30 tracks and uh, like two hours long the drake record is almost 30 tracks and like an hour and a half long i listened to the first nine generally speaking i'm a much bigger fan of the kanye stuff than the drake that is no longer the case this drake record is just it still sounds like drake and and that's fine the kanye record has like no drums on it it's like these weird mm. mostly focusing on his rhythms and rhymes without any like heavy percussion and like big bass or anything like that it's there's a couple songs that kind of bang a little bit 
Um, but the Drake one just sounds like Drake and it has, you know, Travis Scott and, or no, I think Travis Scott's on the kind of record future and, and Jay-Z and like, he's got features from like a bunch of big time Drake rappers writes, and stuff I mean, on there. Drake writes the bangers. Like he writes the hits, like they're, yeah. they're going to be on at clubs and stuff. So yeah, there, there was one song that was kind of like a, a play on I'm too sexy. That one stuck out to right me side right Fred. now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, again, I've listened to like half of both and Drake comes out on top, but neither have been like that. I cannot comment. I have not yeah. yet listened to. So if anybody is following along with our with our uh, Drake Kanye follow along, which probably not because this is a gear podcast, yeah. but we love that shit. So um, that's that. Uh, one one more thing before. Well, there, there's a few more things, but before we get to the main part of, of uh, this section here that I want to talk about, um, something free, a free plugin, uh, BP Pro Audio or B Pro Audio uh, has. Uh, align themselves with music tech to make it is called the gsat plus it's a saturation plugin so it's like a stereo saturator a lot of times you're recording drums or whatever and you're like oh i get a, i've got the mix sounding great and then you throw everything else in and all of a sudden they kind of disappear in a little week one of the f- first things that you'd want to do is throw some sort of saturation plugin on this is specifically designed to do that it's cool. free i'll throw it on the website um all right last thing before we get into the, my favorite two words i get to say every week i wanted to ask you about a little octave pedal situation that you've been going through this week. Yeah. A little bit of experimentation <clears throat> you've been doing. Uh, I know that I had loaned you a pedal and that yep. and that you had one already. So tell us a little bit about what you got going yeah, on. Yeah, well, you loaned me the 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 Dodd, the DOD, as the Dodd father as the you Dodd are. Father. Uh, the DOD Octo Plus, which yeah. is a sub-octave. FX uh, 35? 35. Yeah. FX 35 yeah. DOD. Um, you know, you can find them. Good good pedal. Yeah, not that expensive. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a it's an interesting pedal. So it's a finicky little pedal. Mm. Like if you crank anything full, and I think you showed me this when I played it at your practice mm-hmm. space. If anything goes to full, it kind of loses everything. Almost yeah. everything has to be like in the middle. Like there, all is like, there is a sweet spot sort of in near mm-hmm. near noon or like a little bit above. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because mm-hmm. I think when I first plugged it in at home to try it out, I was like, ah, this isn't really doing anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just my speaker. I'm playing through this yeah. practice amp. Brought it to the space, same deal, and then I started toying with. There's only three knobs, so it's really not like impossible. And to it, dial so it it's in. the it's tone, and then there's the, the you've got octave level tone and direct and direct level. level. So it's like so your original sound, yeah. an octave down sound, and then the overall. tone. And actually, where I have it set up now, it's pretty much you can see pretty much everything's at noon or mm-hmm, or, or a little close. bit low, yeah. And um, then I got a really good octave sound out of it, man. Um, I I like the pedal. I I think if I was gonna get, so you know, I'm not a pedal guy, yeah. So if I was gonna get something. To have a sub-octave, I would get something else. Mm-hmm. And that brings me to the micro synth, yes. which I've had for 15 years. Totally. I, pedal. Um, I love the micro synth. Well, here's, okay, here's a little bit of a conundrum I'm in. I wrote a new song the other night with my band, mm-hmm. and I wrote a bass part that sounds perfect with the micro synth. Sub-octave and kind of the sweepy, wavy, cool. you know, synthy sound. Well, now I'm like, one, I don't want to gig with that thing. Like, say we play a gig, which we and don't have, have to, though. Booked. I think I either have to bring that, which would be a pain in the ass, or I want to find something that has dialable knobs instead of the sliders that the microsynth has. Sliders. Because the sliders are just not, they're so finicky. Mm-hmm. Like if it gets moved, which it's inevitably going to get touched or moved. Yeah, right. Like even the other night, um, uh, Russ was having some guys come play, and I'm sure they were like toying around with it, mm-hmm. which is fine. But, you know, everything was kind of moved, and I was like, to get my sound back that I had the week before was just not working, which is a, a real photo. situation. Yep. You do have to take a photo. But then you're also like, 
you know, we were kind of talking about this the other day. How does it translate live? It's gonna you're gonna have to change go to a it. venue. You're gonna have to dial it in at sound check, mm-hmm. which is such a pain. I hate dialing shit in, which yeah. is I think why I don't fuck with pedals in the first place. Just straight into that amp, baby. So I found the tone. So I guess my question is, can I find something that replicates what the microsynth does? Because I, I I liked the sub octave, but I also liked the uh, the microsynth has a square wave to it, like yep. it has an overdrive. To it's it. a different sound. So I love that that it's included with the sub octave. So I think that's part of the tone that yeah. I want. But I'm like, is there something that I can buy with just maybe four or five knobs or whatever that I can just be like, this is where it's set. You know, have you of ever had the the boss bass the synth, synth pedal? I've I've yeah I've checked them out. I had a I had a I was in a band years ago with a dude who had one of those, and you could do that kind of like. Is that the SY five or something like that? It or? might be. Well, the SY one is I know the SY most one. recent guitar one that like Nathaniel did that sweet jump video yeah. and such. Might be the BS. I can't remember what it's yeah. called, but it, it, I remember you could do that sort of like where it would o- like it's like an opening and closing filter sound, kind of like a Moog or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Uh, you you could definitely do that with that pedal. The thing, I mean, that's in general, octaves are tough with bass because it's already very hard to replicate the like the lowest end of bass. Yeah, and and just like on a guitar pedal, like on a guitar octave pedal, you don't really start hearing it. Like you don't hear it down in, in the low. It just kind of gets muddy. Like you don't hear it until you get up around like the twelfth fret. Sure, it's like the it's it's this like very specific thing. So. I have found with even with that one with any bass octave pedal, I, I don't ever like it on the low string. I only like it when I'm playing stuff like on the you know E or the A D or G string for playing in, sure, sure. in in standard tuning, and and that's when you start to feel it and hear in it. that mid range octave area. And like where you normally when you're playing bass, you almost sort of lose the bottom end. Yep, you get you can keep keep the bottom end, but still keep playing up high. Yeah, yeah. that's and the kind of thing. The particular part that I wrote is all on the low strings. It's mm-hmm. on the two low strings on the lowest frets. So. Um, so it makes sense to me that the micro synth would work better for when that because it, it can that, do like more filtery type stuff instead of yep, just the octave. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I guess I guess the issue is, you know, now I'm like, you know, if I get a gig, I kind of have to bring this pedal now, mm. which and then there's a whole nother thing with the pedal where it doesn't really work like the switch doesn't work. Right, exactly. So it's either on or off. And I've got a what I have is like a Y switcher mm-hmm. that I can control the whole right, remember, right side right. of the pedal board with this one switch or the left side with the other or both, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, so this, yeah, it's a little I've bit been weird. in this. I've been in this conundrum myself. Like uh, in a volcanoes make island song, there were a couple things songs I wrote around specific pedals and that. patches, yeah. and then it's like you're just tied to that forever. I know, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're okay with having a pedal board. But it sounds like that's not really what you're trying to do. The other issue yeah. though is like, okay, you got the sound with the specific unit that you have already, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to try to re-replicate that, which is just like, if you've already got the sound with that pedal, why not just use that pedal? That's the thing. And I kind of have to, I think that's really the issue. So the issue being one, it's a whole thing where I have to bring the whole board. Essentially. I can't just bring the pedal exactly because I need the switch for it. Then I might as well bring everything else, tuner tuner pedals and all this stuff. So I got to bring the whole board, maybe get a smaller board. Well, that's, yeah, I think I would have to, you know, because there's a few like pedals this kinda, on there. This, it would work on something like this. Yeah, exactly. I think little, that I'm, I'm be, saying this. Nobody else would know. It's what the, is that, 18 It is inch? the uh, uh, Pedal Train Nano, I yeah. believe. Uh, yeah, it's very small. It might actually even be a little too shallow for the micro synth now that I think about it. There's like a The micro synth is one. like two of these wide, which I'm pointing at a it standard, is. you know, Big Muff uh, size right, casing. Right, it's larger. It, it's a big boy. Yeah. I, it's kind of honestly surprising to me that Electroharmonics hasn't released... A compact version of that because they have like the pog which i've owned but then they came out with the micro pog right. you'd think that there'd be like the base mini micro synth maybe yeah. maybe there isn't i'm just not aware of it that's I mean, what it, i was trying to find out they have that base synth pedal like the synth nine mm-hmm. i think it's called 
But that's different. That's like designed to make your bass sound like different types of synthesizers, not like uh, the mic- micro synth is a separate thing. So well, that's really st- interesting. Then man. I started looking at other brands, yeah. you know, and, and like and going down a rabbit hole of like watching videos. But then, you know, the whole thing with watching videos, is it going to sound like that when you get it in your hands? It won't. Uh, so, you know, anyways, that's what do you think I need to do. I think I'm just going to keep the micro synth for now. And yeah. I think if, if we do get a gig, which, you know, isn't likely at any time soon, um, we'll probably I'll just bring the whole pedal board. Yeah. And it's just going to be a thing, another you know? thing. which is fine because it's got a whole like separate power thing. You know, That's it's a right. powered pedal board. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's got the whole, you know, I can plug it in. It's actually probably better to just bring that. It probably than, is. Like, because, you know, every show I've pedals. ever played, I've always just been like, my pedal is on the stage floor. Mm-hmm. Like that's just I've never really thought about a big border. Maybe 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 we'll get you one. Yeah, of these, I think I got to get something like that. Um, but yeah, anyways, I, that's the overall consensus. So the Octoplus, what it was missing, if I if I had that and I wanted to replicate the sound of the microsynth, I would add like a fuzz or mm-hmm. some kind of distortion. Exactly, because that's yeah. just octave. Yeah. It's not doing all It's a the, clean octave. Which I remember when I had that microsynth of yours and I repaired it or whatever, uh, I really liked that pedal. Like it does a lot and that's of an fun, old one too. cool stuff. It's an 80s or it 90s is. one. So it's, uh, it might even it's be an 70s. interesting. I'm sound. not really sure. Um, and I don't want the reissue. And I looked just to see like, oh, maybe I could buy the yeah. reissue because I think it is. it comes in a, a slightly smaller. It's the same case, dude. Is it? Yeah. Okay, well... They're still like four hundred dollars. They're very expensive. And I was like, ah, eh, not gonna happen. Yeah. So, you know, I would, I would, I would not be surprised if within the next couple of years, EHX gets their shit to, shit together and figures out how to make that. Into if they a could do it with box. just some knobs too, just and to some make knobs. It. I think people like the novelty of the sliders. Like it's interesting and cool because it's different. But then once you actually start to go to use it, it's like, oh, there's a reason everyone uses knobs because well, knobs are easier and and less likely to be sl- bumped around. The cool thing about the sliders too, which I like, is if you're in the studio. Say you're playing like a yeah. guitar solo. I can move the knob while you're playing exactly. it, and you can get an effect that you've never heard. Mm-hmm. You can't replicate it on the computer. You right. know, it's just uh, it's kind of that live action exactly. you know, thing. So, um, yeah, I'll keep toying with it. Keep but, toying uh, with it, just like you're playing with your ding dong. <laughs> um, here's the thing. Uh, I'm gonna say my two favorite words I could say every week. But okay. before we do that, mm-hmm. I have two questions. Well, first, I just want I just want Dave and I were talking about this last night. I rewatched some kind yeah. of monster. Yeah, last I wanted night. to talk about this a little bit. Oh man. It's in my top five. It is so incredible. First of all, I don't know if we talked about this last time. On Netflix now, there's like a, a part two. Really? So Metallica came out with that movie through the never, which was like 3D. And it had like a, it was almost sort of like their um, song remains the same where it was a live concert. But then they also had this like weird narrative oh, thing that yeah. happened. Okay. And I went and saw it in the theaters and it was like kind of shitty. But yeah. it was a cool, actually like really cool 3D concert movie. Like the, and it sounded great and it was a good performance. But like the narrative stuff was not so good. And Metallica lost a bunch of money on it and stuff. Yeah. But in order to sort of like commemorate that. Uh, and it was 10 years after some kind of monster came out. They made this like half hour follow-up documentary where okay. they sort of summarize the movie a little bit, but then they actually like interview them now and talk about some of the stuff. Um, so check that out if you haven't seen it, but man, that fucking doc, I mean, we were some kind of monster is it's one of the greatest documentaries so ever made. And I don't care if you're a Metallica fan or even a music doc right. fan. It's, awesome as a film well, and this is what they said so the reason that they even thought to include the drama the narrative right. in this new one was because when they went to make some kind of monster it was it was supposed to be a document of them recording this record right. and then in the meantime james went to rehab they didn't see him for a year like literally for a year they didn't see their band they didn't name. have a bass player they didn't have a bass so like they go through all the additions of yeah. that like there's a lot of stuff that happened which was not part of the plan at all and that was what made that documentary interesting and ultimately yeah. worthwhile and, and like a Which valid documentary goes back to like when i say like documentaries you have there's certain things you have to have and mm-hmm. drama's got to be one it's got to be one of them there are a couple of things in that movie that i just want to mention first yeah. of all and i texted you about this maybe 
Maybe the funniest thing I've ever seen in a documentary happens. So this is when James is off at rehab and like they're they're not hearing from hearing they don't hear from him a lot. And Lars brings his dad into the studio. They're just like hanging out. And Lars's dad was this like professional tennis player, funny old guy, long white beard. And he brings him in the studio to hear some of the stuff that they had been working on before James left. They they were in the Presidio in San Francisco. This was before they even moved to their like current headquarters that they've had for like twenty years now. And uh, so they're playing it for him and he's just kind of sitting there stone faced and he, and he like they're, they're done and they're like, what do you think? And he's like, well, you know, and I don't know how to do a Dutch accent. And he's yeah. like, well, you know, if you were to ask me, uh, if you were to say uh, I'm your advisor and ask me what you should do, I would say you should delete that. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking lost my. I forgot His about that. His dad part. is I lost stone my shit. cold, bro. And I and so I want to address something else. You were saying that uh, you're talking about it with your wife Mandy and mm-hmm. how she said that like she hated Lars from that. Yeah, I had, I had, I'd felt that way maybe in like a previous watch. I've seen this movie at least like four or five sure, times in my too. life. Yeah. On this watch, I actually liked Lars more. Really? Now than I did ever before. Isn't that the fun yes. thing about watching something like that again? You kind of get a different perspective because yeah. you've seen it so many times. And I'm older and I think differently Well, and there's about like the things. whole scene where he's selling his art. I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's like, oh, you just made $1.3 million or whatever. Oh, like, dude, he made way more than that. One of those one pieces painting, of art right. sold That's for $5 million. Oh I know. But here's, and this is what he said, and now that I'm older, I kind of get it. He said that like when people get money, they'll throw it in the bank. He said, I when I get a, a stack of money, I put it on my wall. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like no? at the time, I like I was like, this, like, I mean, we buy expensive like, guitars, blah, 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 blah. and I mean, those things appreciate, yeah. and we sell them. And and so, I at first I was like, "Fuck this guy! I hate this guy for that." But then, not when I was watching yesterday, I was kind of like, "I think that makes sense." The part I, uh, the thing I don't like about him mostly in that, from a, a musical standpoint, is when they're trying to write, and he's not letting James like write, come up with an idea. He's like shooting it down right away. I felt like. uh, there was a little bit of that where there, were, and that was. And they get into that too. It's, it's kind too of like stock, bro. He says it's too stock, uh, and that's because that's where they let their person, their personal strife, get in the way of the creativity. And he's trying to play like a something in like three. Dude, I know he's doing this pattern where he's putting the the kick on the two and the snare on the three, and it just won't work. Uh, and it's because, but it, when I was, dude, I he's trying so to play like whipping post up. on the drums or something. And like, he, but the thing is, is what the riffs that they were playing at the time fucking sucked. Yeah. The music, like oh, the I song agree. that they're working it on, was stock. sucked. It was and, stock. It, and so he was trying to he was trying <laughs> right. to spice it up, but in a way that was just like unlinable. And you can feel the just like tension and pain. Like, like nobody wants to be like playing if you this don't come time. up with something good right now in the next thirty seconds, this whole thing yeah. is a waste of time. Which, and and uh, you know, I want to say, uh, you know, from a creative standpoint, sometimes you have to get through those shitty parts to come up with a good idea. You Always. Know? And so like I guess this brings up a conversation is when do you abandon a good idea or a bad idea or what you think is good and everyone else hates? I mean there's dude, it's so it's, it's the hardest hard. thing. Yeah. Honestly, there have been so many songs in my life where I've just like worked them to death and then you listen to them later and it's like eh that's or not that, you'll that good. uh do it for like, you know, three hours you'll work on this one part and then you go back and listen to the original thing. And and you're like, this is so far exactly. from the original idea. Yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. Okay. So some cool. kind of monster. God, if you folks haven't watched it, just oh, go watch that movie. Second thing I want to say before before I say, okay. I watched a do- another documentary this week, and I wanted to know if you watched it, which is called Count Me In. Is that the Dave's Doc for this week? Oh, my God. All right, fuck it. Dave's Doc. This is great because I actually took some notes on this one, too, man. Perfect, dude. So I'm excited to talk get, about get it. Get into it. Let's hear what you got. Uh, I'm going to pull up my notes because there are a couple of things that happened that I just have to fucking mention. And, if, and I'm uh, sure you're going to as well. Yeah. So I watched it one and a half. OK. Times, what, what, I already spoiled it. I already screwed the pooch. Tell us what you watched. Count me in. It's a new Netflix documentary. Yes. 
And what is it it's, about? It's all about drums, mostly rock drums, yes. I would say. Um, and really, it's a history of rock and roll. It I mean, is. I think it really is. And it's kind of funny because obviously we beat the dead horse with Charlie Watts, you know, R.I.P. last yeah. week. Um, oh, that was an interesting that choice was a, of words right there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, hey, we can but, laugh about it now. No, it's totally, okay. dude. And it's, you know, we talked about it. But of course, he gets brought up again. Of course, you know, he does. Being, you know, legendary. All right, so let's start there. So, well, I... I the things that really stood out to me was one uh, in the beginning, the Gene, the Gene Krupa footage mm. when he was in that movie. Mm. And you really realize, you know, he, Gene Krupa was this jazz drummer who could just do everything. Yes. But he was the and a legend, legendary prick as well. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah. yeah. There is a very famous recording. You can hear him just like berating his bandmates on, a, on, a, on um, the bus. Yeah, dude. I just I loved, you know, I, I kind of took overall notes on this yes. because it wasn't a, about a specific storyline. So, you know, I just I want to mention like the people that were featured in it. Yeah. Um, our friend, the Iron Maiden drummer, Nico McBrain. I'm so glad you said that. we've met that fucking yeah, guy. We met I him at NAMM. How amazing was um, that? And he's in that kind of a lot, too. Yeah, he is actually. And he's kind of telling his story, which yeah. which is what I liked about it. They go to these famous drummers who are still alive today and they're telling the story about when they got their first kit and when yeah. they, you know, uh, first started playing on pots and pans, you know, in, in the kitchen. You which know, I think so, a lot of us did. Yeah, I absolutely. Played on, I played on pillows. pillows. Set up pillows, yep. And I used uh, my mom's like cooking spoons, That's the wooden awesome. spoons for drumsticks. Um, the Nick Mason interviews are awesome. Okay, I'm glad you said that. Did you see the Indy car sitting behind him? It was a Formula One car. That was a real Formula and One. Doesn't he own a race This car? is the number one note on my phone right here. <laughs> oh, is Okay, so this is what I wanted to say. Yeah. You see all, like anytime you see someone in, in an interview like this or in a documentary, they're always like, they've got the cool background behind them. And it's usually like drums. Or well, like, Stuart Copeland had a drum set, a box, he had a Roland. Of JC120, yep. exactly. Yep. Of course, you know, I noticed that mm-hmm. having, a, having a JC120 myself. But how fucking badass is Nick Mason to be like, um, most of you fuckers have drum kits in the background. I have a, Formula I have a real Formula One car indoors. Yeah. Like he was in his like fucking like. Well, it looked like a study. Living room. There were like, there were like books <laughs> on the wall. Study. And the dude had a formula. He's like, fuck you. I'm in Pink Floyd. I'm going to have a Formula One yeah. car in the background. Right. That was, dude, Fantastic. I'm so glad. That was literally number one note Fantastic, on here that I wanted to call dude. right there. Um, More people featured. Uh, yeah. Bob Henrik from The Kinks, I thought was fucking awesome. Chad, yeah. Chad Smith is a cool motherfucker. He's in that movie a lot. Say actually. what you want about the, the Chili Peppers and whatever. You yes. know, Anthony Kiedis is obviously annoying, but um, the band is amazing, and Chad Smith is really a, a cool motherfucker. I like Taylor Hawkins, too. You know, Foo Fighters yeah. drummer. Speaking of... Did you notice no Grohl? It's really interesting. It was a rock doc about drums. And Grohl wasn't And in there it. was no Grohl, which I made me like it even more, honestly. Yeah. It's, well, there's a clip of uh, the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit because that was such an important like drum filler. Where whatever, he's playing and you can't even playing. see his face. And exactly. I never really thought about that. Yeah. They don't show who this like mysterious drummer and is. And it's like, him. Yeah, that's but, so cool. But uh, Dave Grohl is not in Count Me In, which honestly... And I love Dave Grohl, but the fact that he wasn't in it made me love the documentary more. Yeah. Um, standouts to me, uh, Cindy Blackman Santana, uh, who yes. plays with Lenny Kravitz and yeah. Santana, obviously. I'm assuming that's his daughter. It, oh, my God. Um, dude, there she's so cool. truly badass female drummers. And yeah. that was the other Samantha thing Maloney was the out. other uh, Eagles of Death Metal and Hole. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought that was fucking awesome. And it, Motley Crue as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, she had to fill in when uh, uh, Tommy Lee could Exactly. Make I didn't know about any I of that. I didn't know that story either. That was crazy. That was something I want to make sure that we focus on a little bit because so many of these rock and roll documentaries are just like 
only focused on the dudes. And that makes sense when you think about the history I mean, because yeah. like it's been a lot of men. Right. But I'm, I was so happy to see them make a very real effort to show women and people of color that are not, it's not just a bunch of fucking white dudes. It's like, here, look, everyone plays the drums. This is an instrument for everyone. Yeah. They And they really, really focused on that. And I was yeah. so happy to see that. I, I really connected with the, I think it was the guy from uh, Jane's Addiction. And Stephen was, Perkins, yes. Yeah, and he was talking about, I think it was him, and he was saying, I don't care if, if I'm playing by myself or playing for 40,000 people. When I play the drums, I close my eyes, and I just see like a sea of people. Oh, like it's, man. You're, you're like, when you're playing, and I've, I've been there. I'm not even a drummer, but I've sat down at my own kid mm-hmm. in my space, and I have fun literally by myself in my practice space, and I just, I have the same feeling. I know exactly what you, you mean, You know, man. like, you, you're just, you're trying to dial it in. Um, so I loved that. Um, the scene where uh, it's, her name's El. Emily Dolan Davies and mm-hmm. she's the drummer of the darkness. Yes. She there's a scene where she's a little kid and she's getting a drum set for Christmas and she freaks out. Oh, reeks yes. out. I mean, you want to talk about genuine love for something? I dude, I literally cried it when that scene happened. It was such a cool scene. She's probably 8 or 9 mm-hmm. years old and she's tearing up and she goes, "It's a drum set. Yeah. It's a drum set." And then they show her at like 17 and she's just Oh, she was it. ripping in that yeah. video. I yeah. I had never heard of her before and in that like 17-year-old video, yeah, she was playing these like I, I, it made me want to go practice. I yes. was like, oh, I want to go learn how to do that hi-hat yes. pattern that she's doing. Dude, it's it's so cool to see. By the way, I want to mention something. Mm-hmm. Side note, uh, Dan Liu posted a video on stories the other of day. His, his child. kid playing drums. I had to message him yeah. and be like, this. what is he, two? Less Three? than. Dude, this kid was playing like with his foot and everything. He like, was doing doubles with his right foot, dude. That kid, if that kid doesn't get tired of playing drums, he's going to be a fan. And Dan was like, I drummer. had nothing to do with That's this. That's what he told me, too. Yeah. I texted him, and I was like, dude, this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. He said, I, I have nothing to do with this. Isn't um, that fucking amazing? Back to the doc, my yeah. boy, uh, Ben Thatcher from Royal Blood. I love Royal Blood. Yeah, you do. He's That's right. I was thinking about you when I, he was on When there. I think of that band, I think of the drumming in that band. So that was fucking awesome. Uh, I I, I want to sum it up with, like, it was the pedal movie for drums, is the way I thought oh, about it. Oh, wow. Because yeah. it, it talks about the history, but then you also talk about the modern stuff. Well, and they do get into, like, actual, some of the techie, not quite pedal movie like, dis- like, like but right. there was some techie geek, like that whole, the whole, the drum doctor guy. Yeah. I didn't know anything about I didn't about know that him. either. And I want to like go the, there. His, his warehouse that where he literally <laughs> does not know how many drum kits that he yeah. has. And she picks out the custom she kit. She picks out uh, the DW gold oh. kit. Um, there were a couple, of, all right, there were a couple of things you didn't mention that I want to get to in here. Well, First of all, oh, no, keep going, keep no, going. No, yeah. I'm not. I don't mean to cut you off, but Please, um, this is your obviously. Sex. Obviously, the Beatles footage was cool. Ringo, yeah, punk oh, energy. They said punk energy, yeah. which is like that's so true. Um, then we go to the Stones footage, which of course, what did they show? The riot scene from Ireland, which I talked about Could last week and showed you after the and we watched it like an hour. Right um, after. So I thought that was so cool that they showed that scene, dude. That just goes to show you know your fucking docs, man. <laughs> I do. Oh, I thought this was interesting, and I don't think I've ever noticed this because you actually don't notice it. The beginning of Honky Tonk Woman mm-hmm. starts like pretty slow. Oh, By the when end of the song, much it it's probably up? six to ten BPM faster. Yes, I didn't either, and, man. And the guy says, you "It's Chad Smith talking." Chad about Smith, it. you don't notice that it happens. Mm-hmm. It just happens. And by the end of the song, they cut from the beginning to the yes. end to show you the difference. It's it's literally six to ten. That BPM was genius faster. the way they did that. Fucking awesome. Um, and that was pretty much it, man. All right, couple things out that I want to mention. First of all, uh, Topper hadn't. Talk, saying he uh, from the clash saying the reason that he got he wanted to play the drums was because he saw a video of the who and that he yes. thought that keith moon was the best looking guy in the band and i was just like <laughs> i was very surprised to hear someone say that yeah, which like 
They weren't a handsome band. They were not a handsome band. But back <laughs> and, and he was talking. He was like, "Yeah, there's this like he was the most handsome guy in the band, and his drum kit was at the front of the stage. It and was, then he yeah. realized that he's like, oh shit, like I'm gonna be in the back here. But yeah, whatever. That's funny. I, yeah, uh, I remember that. Then there was, uh, I mean, the whole section about Jim uh, John Bonham, like uh, which it almost go, it you almost could have a whole documentary about John Bonham. It, it almost like you don't, you just forget how he was the best motherfucker. And there was a. There was, I think I laughed out loud at one point when was that my phone? That was weird. I thought I had my do not disturb on. Wasn't me. Um, oh yeah, it is. And uh, and he's like, uh, he's talking about he's, he's seen John Bonham for the first time, and he and he yells, he's like, check this shit out, motherfucker. Yeah. And then they're talking about, um, and, and this kind of sounds stupid, but it like almost reminded me that I should listen to Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, duh. But then. Jim Keltner's talking about Bonham's kick tone, and he's like, I got to play Bonham's kick one time. And like most of us have this like chesty, like, and he's like, and I kick Bonham's just like, boom. It's like, it sounded like what would most people would say would sound bad, but to him, it was, it was the best. Yeah, it was his technique. And then one more thing that I want to say, and this is the last note that I didn't have Rat Scabies from The Damned, he has the best name ever. Uh, and he and the other laugh out loud moment i had was when he's talking about guitar players playing and he's like "Ooh, ooh, i'm tearing every note from my soul guitar face and like i've never heard it referred to as tearing every note from my soul and i fucking cracked up dude i mean you know as a guitar slash bass player i i love when drummers make fun of us sometimes because it's just it's so they should yeah absolutely because you're you're literally in control of the whole band yeah. as the drummer i'll know? say you i think you did an excellent job of summarizing this one it's just when i watched it it's you're right it's sort of like the pedal movie for drums and it really it's like you're saying with that this idea of like imagining you're in front of this like a stadium full of people when you're behind the kit like yeah. there's something about watching it that really that i haven't seen much or maybe ever that really captures just the the fun or the joy of playing the instrument, that, absolutely, like, it, it makes drumming look fun. It, it really does, which is yeah. I I think that's kind of the ultimate. Drummers compliment. don't get enough. They really don't get enough. Uh, you know, praise. I guess I don't think say. so either. And and really, I I mean we've talked about this before. I am the ultimate example. I'm a guitar player with drum envy, and I always yeah. have been. Like I, I'm the guitar player. I play drums, but like I would give it all up to be. A master isn't drummer. that the they used to say that like all bass players want to be guitar players all guitar players want to be drummers and all or singers drummers or want to be the singer yeah, i don't right. know it's, it's yeah but it's true we all have this envy so dave oh man what do you got what's your ranking i mean i i couldn't give it less than a nine out of ten mm. skins yeah Ooh, love that <laughs> yeah what do you want to give it same yeah yeah for sure i i think it was fan it, it could have it was which is a good thing it was only like 75 minutes long yeah. or something well, like that's that. that's why I actually liked it. But I would say that if they... I might have liked a little bit more if they could have done... Because I'm such a fucking geek. If they had gotten into like, this is why a snare drum sound like a snare. Sure, it's got the thing, a little nerd rattles in the bottom, and like the toms or whatever. Like the a more, bit more of the of uh, the deeper kind of like the pedal movies. Stuff, yes, yes, which because yeah. they did explain like circuits and you know all that exactly. Stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. So that would have been the only thing I think that would have made it like a perfect. But 10. it was a it was a definitely a, a digestible movie, even if you're not like a huge music nerd. You don't have to be at no, all, but no. you'd still get a lot. Of, obviously, both of us fucking dickheads watched it. Yeah, and we fucking wanted to geek out on it. Today, I'm so, so. glad 
glad you watched it because I was gonna bring it. I was gonna bring the heat, and I was waiting for you to be like, "What Netflix yeah. says?" But I'm, you know, I know you're on top of this. I, I was lucky. I, I turned on. Netflix I saw it two days just, ago yeah. and was like, "That's gonna be my Dave's doc." Exactly. Oh, dude, so good. <laughs> so, All right, yeah. that was a fucking awesome Dave's oh, doc. Yeah, dude. Oh, by the way, I did watch the Bob Ross documentary. Also, yeah. super sad. Fuck the Kowalskis, man. Yeah, I. You know what? Um, I bought. First of all, I just want to say, don't buy shit with Bob Ross. Exactly. Don't do it. You're not giving him any money mm-hmm. or his family any money. So. Yeah, fuck yeah, the Kowalskis. Fuck the Kowalskis. Here we go, Future Gear. We've got a couple couple meaty things to get into right here. Cool. Uh, first of all, we already sort of touched on it. Don't need to get in too far, but Nathaniel Rateliff has a new signature Gibson acoustic. It's awesome. So I wanted to shout that out it is the LG2 Western, which is called that because it is a combination of his two favorite acoustic guitars. There's a pretty nice little, like, very short uh, video Gibson put out about it, and it's a combination of a pre-war LG2 this specs from that and a 67 i think is some sometime in the 60s country gibson country western okay and he basically smushed those two guitars together you can get it now it's custom out of the bozeman factory there's no price but i'm guessing it's very expensive not gonna be cheap um the other reason i wanted to mention is because there's a new uh nathaniel rateliff video out starring our buddy james pepper no way he's playing the doctor and so i of course like he posted a picture of this on his instagram and i was like james just so you know I'm not going to say it, but I've already thought of the obvious joke. And then, and then, so he texts me, he's like, well, just go ahead and say it. What's the obvious joke? And I sent him, I sent him a, a Dr. Pepper meme. Oh. Cause I mean, of course, you know, uh, but you missed I, me. Yeah. I went over my what I really thought of was specifically the 1990s rom-com classic blast from the past starring Brendan Frazier <laughs> and where he, where he grows up in like the bunker. Or exactly. Like in like yeah. a nuclear bunker yeah. uh, and Christina Applegate right. and Christopher Walken. And in that movie, they drink hot Dr. Pepper. That's and right. I've always thought about that. So I sent, I, what I actually sent him was just like the clip of hot Dr. Dr. Pepper from that movie, and then we went on this long discussion about how we both like really genuinely like that movie. Yeah, and now we've got a little date. We're going to get together and oh, watch nice. Blast from the Past together. Oh, yeah, he's actually in town for a couple weeks. Oh, right awesome, now. man! So that's that. Go check out Nathaniel's new acoustic. Buy it if you can. Um, you know what? I'm going to skip this just because, like, it's just we've got too much stuff to get into right here. There's a couple of things I still want to do. When you text me before I come over and you say today's going to be a beefy episode, yeah. I get I get a little tingle. You get balls. a little beefy yourself because yeah, I know all that I do. Uh, okay, here's one. This is this is very surprising to me, but I guess it shouldn't be. An article I just read an article. Um, basically, here's the deal. When it's it's about church bands and guitar sales. Hmm. Studies have come out recently that, and there's this whole big long article about. I think it was Guitar World about, and and it cites a bunch of different things that church bands and makers of praise and worship music, P and W, that's you know what we call it, account for roughly one third of all new instrument and audio equipment sales. Wow. P&W equals one third of the entire gear market right now. I would actually say I believe that. Yeah, like, and, I, and I've, got some, I've got some stats to back it up. So according to research from Fender, they calculate that approximately $600 million or around 30% of the estimated $1.5 to $2 billion spent on new music making gear each year in the U.S. comes from players or organizations involved in P&W music. 600 million a year just for church bands dude that is fucking wild that's crazy and, and also 
kind of eye-opening to me frankly you know i mean i knew that there's this sort of like stigma around the internet it's like you see like a really fancy pedal board with the strymon bridge you know like all the strymon pedals on it and it's like oh which church do you play in yeah but the fact is is that's true yeah or like the big like six string bass and like the brand new dad top on it with the like the what's yetter jetter what was that fucking bears barf bass jen's ritter jen's ritter bass bass, which are works of art they're beautiful they're absolutely works of art you sent me that one that looks like a bears fan (laughs) you got so mad i got so angry Football inlays, which and I it had notice. football inlays, dude, <laughs> and it was used for like eight thousand dollars so or something like when that. When I was on the the talk based forums, which I'm not yeah. as active anymore, but it, I would say the majority of people on there were praise and worship guys. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Like if you were in a rock band and on that, mm-hmm. you were kind of the minority. Wow, for sure. Yeah. Which so I guess you know maybe that uh, we're you know we'll wrap it all up when we get to that in the segment. But it's kind of like to me, I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling like I need to start paying more attention to this world because if they're spending. If they're one third of the spending force, that means the the industry has to pay attention to them, yep. which means that they're going to be driving sort of like the, not not necessarily innovation, but like the next steps, the next things that happen in that space. So right. as someone that wants to be aware of that, I'm going to have to start paying attention to that world a little bit more. Well, um, for instance, like those, you know, I sent you those headphones that um, the boss, boss just came out with, which I know headphones. they had the guitar ones. They've had those, right. But yeah, you, you can basically, you put on these headphones, they isolate the sound. Um, you can cue it up with Bluetooth. It's got like a little thing, like a you, little adapter that clips into your yeah, bass, like it's got the jack it's, or So whatever. it's all wireless. And then your phone, you can play backing tracks yep. and you can play drum clicks, whatever. Um, but it's all isolated, but that's, that's the market they're going for. Well, I didn't, you know, I so can warm up before a gig. You, know? you I was out doing something when you sent me that. I didn't get a chance to really dig into it. What's yeah. the, what is different about it being bass? Is it just like the presets that work for your yeah your and, and and there were a lot of people in the comments who were kind of like why do you guys have to like separate bass and guitar yeah it's just so they could sell it's marketing yeah, yeah and i get all that um i'm sure it could work with one or the of other course. maybe the headphones might have a little more like more low end end. frequency okay. to them. Yeah. that's what i was really wondering yeah i, I didn't bet. know if there was like because it's like back in the day you used to be able to buy like monster bass cable yeah. or guitar cable or whatever right. it's no, like that's it's just so they can market to bass yeah, players it's right? 100 okay. so good but uh it's a cool thing but yeah but my point is i think that those those are the people they're they're targeting is mm-hmm. like people who, you know, have to rehearse quietly, maybe while there's a thing going on and the band's kind of warming up in the back, or maybe they're seating people and like you Man. actually get to warm up. I didn't think about this before we went to tape, but now I'm thinking about it. You think of, there's been so many and excuse me, and we've sort of talked about this a little bit recently, just this idea of like speaker simulators, direct yeah. uh direct I mean that shit, I've got one a pedal sitting next to me that does it, like these I these solutions that have IRs built in so you can go direct. So much of that has to come from praise and worship, right? 100%, because yeah. they can't have a full Marshall stack on stage, but you still want to have that sound. And so those innovations are have to be coming from the fact that so many quiet stages are actually like pulpits. Dude, when I was on those forums, like I was saying, and most of the people were praise yeah. and worship, a lot of the uh, topics and questions that those guys would chime in on are like, what are the best in-ear monitors? Mm. What are the best tones for like, you know, I want to have like, I want to have low end, but we're in a church. Right. So it's like, you can't be boomy, you know? Well, uh, I did go to see the band Sun in a right. Rockefeller Chapel Which would probably be the opposite of what we're talking Quite about. Quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. But that is the one exception. All right. Yeah. So uh, here's a Matt Watts, Fender's VP of Marketing, uh, quote, at Fender, we we have recognized the importance of P&W for quite some time now. Given our mission, which is, I think, very intentionally said mission, given our mission <laughs> to support artists at every level and on every stage, we're determined to serve as a, as a major supporter of the worship community. We have learned that a nearly a third of all instruments sold are used in the worship setting, and there is no doubt that worship leaders and music directors are a source of musical inspiration for so many players. So that's that says to me that they're, they're recognizing it's not even just the 
the, the, the people playing on stage, it's actually the, you know, the congregation, the, the musicians that are in the crowd are seeing what is on those stages yeah. and then they're wanting to buy it. So it's yep. almost like the same cycle of how, you know, we'd go see, I can remember seeing Alkaline Trio when I was a kid and sure. then seeing Orange Amps on the stage and yep. being like, oh my God, that's so cool. I need so to have cool. Orange Amps. There's the same thing happening in church where it's people are like, oh, I, I'm really feeling power from this like praise and worship mm-hmm. situ- situation. I want to have that for my home setup yep. now too. So it's, it's like, it's like this own, this new form of like rock star is happening that I was completely yeah. oblivious to. And, and on the other hand, you've got people there who might not be musically inclined. So you want everything to sound really good oh, and really even. Yeah. You know, it can't be like, oh, we're just bringing our amps. It can't sound like a rock concert because no. then you're going to have a lot of people who aren't interested in that. Dude, and I know Sweetwater super, super interested in this. So um, what's more, Fender also estimates that one million musicians, one million play church gigs on a weekly basis. Yeah. While retailer Sweetwater said that one in six of its reps, so like, you know, those guys that call you after you buy something from Sweetwater and they're oh, still yeah. like trying to follow shit up, one in six of those reps are strictly P&W sales. Wow. That's a fucking lot. I believe it. So for a lot of worship leaders, the guitar is the companion that marks your journey and marks your development as an authentic worship leader. So it's like they're always trying to level up. Just like we're always trying to trade up, they're always, but their mark, they're, it, what I have found is it seems like the church bands are way less interested in the vintage stuff and they're yes. the ones really driving the, the hi-fi. new gear hi-fi Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, yes. I mean, even like the Mark-based stuff that I play, mm-hmm. I know like the majority of guys play that because it's reliable, it's solid state, it's compact. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take up a lot of room on stage and I think, um, and again, going back to like the whole, like a lot of guys are going DI. A lot of the drums are even like V drums, like yep. the really nice V drums. Exactly. Um, that are know. more expensive than like oh, five dude. acoustic kits. I, I'll never forget like going to Guitar Center and seeing like a $5,000 V yep. drum set. Totally. Which sounded fucking amazing. Those are like so fun to play. The and, fake cymbals and stuff. And honestly, those kits make you play, they sound make you sound like you're better than you are. They do. Because you don't have to strike. Like it just, it's yeah. a trigger. Yeah, it's a little sensitive, but it's not the same it's as not having as... like the rim on your drum, acoustic drum versus like the center. It's, yeah. it's a different When you can thing. have like a thousand different ways to hit a exactly. drum. Yeah, exactly. And only one of those is good. Whereas like <laughs> a th- you've got a th- probably a thousand ways to hit a V drum, but like 999 of them are good. Yeah. And like there's only maybe two or three sensors in the cheaper exactly. models. You know, Which, so. yeah, that's a, that's a real deal. So one third, man, that is, yeah. that is a big deal. And I, so that's cool. as like as much of not a religious person at all as I am, I'm still now going to make sure that I start paying attention to what's going on, maybe even just in the forums in that yeah. world. Because when it comes to new gear, future gear, they're driving so much of it right Absolutely. Now. And if it's anything that, that again, goes back into like in-ear monitors or anything direct, yep. like those guys use the best of the best That's stuff right. for that stuff. So that was that was a, a definitely not a topic I was necessarily planning on ever covering on this show, but it's, you know, we, we go where the news we is. We go man. where it is, man. Uh, speaking of, this is this is going to be the main sort of topic that we get into this, this okay. evening, this afternoon here, because it's something that... I've seen showing up a lot recently, and it has finally creeped into the gear world. Oh. And this is the idea of speculative investing. And it's something that I saw happening in a a number of areas. I mean, there's obviously like the whole Bitcoin and and we've talked about NFTs and all that sort of, which which are related to this, but it's, this is its own thing, Dave. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to dive in. Stop me as soon as you don't understand anything. I'll be able (laughs) to answer as much as I can. So uh, the reason I, the reason I thought of it is because Gibson who are involved in everything these days have partnered with this company called rally. Okay. Rally is the first platform to allow retail investors, which just means you and me, any fucking dickhead consumer with too much money to invest in collectible assets. 
today, which today, so I got the press release today. They announced this was a couple days ago that they have started a partnership with Gibson. So what does that mean, Dave? Well, Rally, they source, they verify, and then acquire. So it means they find it, they verify it, then they buy the most noteworthy items from collections and individuals all over the world. So that right now, I think they've got 15 different categories. The new one is musical instruments. They turn that item into, quote, a company via regulatory qualification, then split that into equity shares. We're talking about a physical item right now, mm-hmm. right? So what does that mean? They open an initial offering on, on Rally, which is what you would do with any new company, and they offer shares where investors of all sizes can purchase shares and build their portfolio. After 90 days, investors have the chance to sell those shares in-app or add to their position on periodic trading days through registered broker-dealers. Okay. So it's just like the stock market. Basically, right. you've got a company that's a publicly offered company. You can buy shares of it based on a bunch of different things, market factors, blah, blah, blah. Those shares are worth more or less money than when you bought them. Now, you can do that with actual real physical items. Whoa. So <clears throat> that means... Now, any, I'll get into the Gibson stuff specifically. Yeah. Now, with Gibson, anyone can invest in three unique Gibson guitars, each handcrafted by the world-renowned Gibson Custom Shop in Nashville. And they are a, these are all new instruments. Uh, it's a Slash 1966 EDS-1275 double neck, mm-hmm. the Tony Iommi Monkey 1964 SG Special Replica, and the Adam Jones 1979 Les Paul Custom Aged and Signed Silver Burst. Right. Each guitar is a one-of-a-kind official artist-approved prototype saved by Gibson, so it's like the prototype, making it the most special guitar in these limited edition runs. All three guitars will live in the Gibson vault located in the all-new Gibson garage. So when these are offered, all three of those guitars right now, I don't know what the, I have no idea what the initial shares are even worth yet or if they're even for sale yet, but you can go and buy a share of a guitar of a guitar that you that you'll don't never play. actually own. I mean, I'm I'm making a face right. You're now. making a you're making a bad sauce. I just face think right it's now, like which is what I feel too. It's kind of like I mean, it's almost like as dumb as the NFT thing, but it's not even like a physical. But it's at a least physical an thing. NFT is like or, you own it. Yeah, this, if, if it's a gift, you own a you share own a of gift, it. But this is a share of a guitar, so I can never go play the guitar. You can anymore. also now buy shares of NFTs. It turns out, right? I was I was I was, was first hip to this happening in the video game world. Okay, so I I watched this huge. It was basically like a feature-length documentary about heritage auctions, which is one of yeah. the big players in that world. Right. What's happened? So I'm sure you've seen this in the news, and we might have even talked about it on this show. Where like a couple years ago, a copy of uh, a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers for Nintendo sold for like a hundred thousand dollars. Sure. Yeah. And at that time, there were some there were some like sort of pawn stars. You know, they bring in my buddy like yeah. verifiers. There were a couple of those in that in that world that were like video game authenticators. Now there's this company called Wata. I'm actually going off script here, but I, I know enough about this. There's a company called Wata, W-A-T-A games that are have positioned themselves as the top verifier of vintage video games. So they grade them on all these different things, whatever. Condition and all that stuff. So the first the first a couple of years ago, again, once uh, Mario sold for like $100,000. And then soon after that, another copy sold for like $200,000. Right. And then not long after that, one sold for a million. Right. And then there was 1.5 million. And then now there was just a copy of Zelda that was like 2 million. Right. Well, when you dig into it, it turns out, because these are all, there are publicly available records for this, those were all bought by Wata and Heritage Auctions. Right. 
So they were trading them to themselves. Basically. So they're inflating the market themselves. Right. So what what's happening is they're trying to create this. I don't know if you want to say false, but they're trying to create this sense yeah. that what the, that what they're doing is somehow real and and ba- so it's like well very well, much like the stock. Market. I'm not going to buy this thing unless I know. Like if I see someone else bought it for a million dollars, well then it must be worth. It must be worth. Dollars. It's only worth what somebody pays until for you find out that the person who is selling it, who is trying to it's raise the value like, of the market, is the one who bought it to be. So begin how with. is that not like inside trading then? Basically, because this is the wild fucking west right. with this stuff right, right now. It's very unregulated. So going back to the Gibson thing yes. then. How do we value a guitar that no one ever has their hands on then? Like if it just lives in the vault, how is it actually going to appreciate in value? Because I, because people have people decide because money right. isn't real. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, I know that. Uh, I can, you know, I'll be the first one to tell you that. Like it's but it's there is. I agree, dude. Is there, it, it isn't. Is it like see? It'd be one thing if people if somebody owned it. Like let's say Jobo bought it, yeah. right? Our good friend Joe Bonamassa, who I'm sure listens up, to Joe? the pot podcast all the time we'll shout um, you out next week after you write in if 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 he were to buy it and sell it to a tech and then that tech sold it back to him or sold it to somebody mm-hmm. else like if it's changing hands the value is going up in my opinion yeah uh if it just lives somewhere in a corner if one person owns it why would the value of it ever appreciate well, and, aside and, from and here's i agree with you completely here's the other half of it i think when we talk and, it, and this goes back to the where we started this episode with the rosy burst right right first of all that guitar. So there are a couple things that determine value. There's supply and demand. Yep. So and that's that's, that's probably the big one. That's a big one. And and that's I think that's part of the argument for this mm-hmm. because there is only one of each of these prototypes, which sure. again is artificially created because they knew that they were going to do this. They they were creating these assets to create value. Yeah, that's strange. So that but you you that's undeniable. However, I and I think many others when you learn basic economics find that there is also utility. So. That rosy burst can be played, and you can write songs on it. You yes. can, you can, you can fucking you can use it as a tool. It. You can use it as a tool because right. that's what guitars are. Right. These guitars are going to live in the vault and right. never be played. So right. you, you that the utility factor is gone at that right. point. So it's only supply and demand. Right. Which, to me, so interesting feels broken. Feels fake. I've yeah. got some more to say here. So okay. um, this is a quote from Mark Agnesi, who you know we talk about uh, quite a bit on the show. <laughs> guitars of this is a quote. Guitars of this caliber have historically always gone to individual collectors, but our goal was to find a way to make the ownership experience accessible to as many fans as possible. But, Did you? Yeah, Thanks well, to Rally's unique platform, fans have a chance to own a piece of guitar history that have otherwise seemed, and I think seemed is a very important word there, unobtainable. Mm. I think that it's still unobtainable mm-hmm. because it's living in a vault. While on the one hand, they could have sold those guitars to in- individual collectors, you know, uh, or put it in their museum or whatever. Now they're just finding a way to make money, more money off of something that they wouldn't have it's just necessarily such a, otherwise. It's such a dumb thing because it's, again, you're, if you're not allowed to like touch the guitar, it'd be one thing if there was like, oh, on, on October 29th, I get to go and play the guitar. For yeah, it's hours. like a shared custody of yeah. like a dog or something yeah. like that. But no, you, you don't. And I don't think they're ever going to let anybody play these guitars because if there's like 10,000 people that bought shares in it, then I wouldn't, like if I had one of those, if I was one of those 10,000, I wouldn't want some dickhead with barbecue right. sauce on his hands going and playing the fucking <laughs> thing fingers. yeah well <laughs> uh sorry that was funny um i'm just like i don't get the point of it then i know and how many okay here, here's my bigger question then how many people are actually going to do this i don't know because i don't think they've actually made the quote-unquote ipo yet uh this has now, just been announced if it's like 50 cents would you throw down no 
Okay. Because it's still, principle. it's still just, it doesn't, there is no value to me at that point. Right. If, if, but the thing is, is it's just like stock. Like you're saying, it's like, okay, well you buy it at a dollar in hopes that it's going to go up. So right. it's strictly investment right. that you lose again to me, which we've talked about ad nauseum, I think is that like the core of this show is that we spend absurd amounts of money. I mean, we are quite literally sounded by, surrounded by like a yeah. hundred thousand dollars worth of gear right sure. now in my home. That said, I can go and touch and use every single one of those yeah, things because go plug it in right now. they're mine and then and, and or I can loan it to you and we could jam or I could do anything that I want with it. Right. You're buying a share of a physical item that's, that you will never be able to use. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And and I just and I don't get it. I've got a couple more things here written down. So I want to talk about Rally a little bit. That's the company. They were the first to use Reg A plus offerings that this is all their sort of legally speak to de- democratize investments in one of a kind assets for as low as one dollar per share, allowing anyone to own a piece of some of the rarest and most unique collectibles. The company is the largest player in a fast growing sp- space with more than 300 assets either available to trade or coming soon. With 15 categories now in rally and more than 10 added in the last year alone, this is a current big boom. The platform has only scratched the surface of alternative assets, which is, I think, a very key term there as well, historically limited to just the wealthy. Rally recently closed a $30 million Series B funding round led by Excel. To me, this feels an awful lot like every other bubble that's ever existed in the past. Like, you know, I went to business school. I know a little bit about this stuff. This is, to me, this is just like pure bubble town where they're trying to artificially create value where it does not otherwise exist. Right. And I'm never, again, we've talked about this a lot too. I, I hate, I abhor the idea of telling folks how to spend their money. So I'm not sitting here saying don't do this, but I think hopefully as we're going through this conversation, it should be clear why we both feel like this is a fucking dumb idea. And you said you got an email about this. I'm a, I get the Gibson PR email. So but that's what I mean. So yeah. Gibson blasted this out to whoever sure has did. an email. With that's them. right. So there's going to be a lot of people. The, it was the press release, so like I get the press email. Even but if like one percent of the people buy into this, it's going to drive up. I don't know. It's that's just so dumb to me. It's so goofy to me. And and again, there. This isn't the only thing. I already t- gave the video game example. I could understand someone wanting to own something extraordinarily rare that nobody else has. This whole supply and demand thing, or like put a piece of art on your wall, like Lars would do. Yeah, you can enjoy that. You can you can derive even an NFT from it. You can watch the GIF exactly. of the Rolling Stones tongue or whatever you got. Like Ex- I get that perfectly perfect example. Yeah. But this, anybody could supposedly go to the Gibson garage and see these guitars without buying a share in it. So it's almost like you know how like the Green Bay Packers are are quote unquote owned by their fans, right. but they're not actually. It's yeah. just kind of a way to like put more money in the Packers pockets to me that's the only sort of there are two there are two reasons I can think of that one would actually want to do this one um, you you believe that this is a a legitimate investment and that you're going to be able to sell it for a profit in the future which morals aside that's your prerogative or you're such a big Gibson fan that you just like you need to feel like you are somehow invested in the company but again Gibson is a publicly traded company, so if you really want to do that, you can go right now to the Nasdaq and buy shares in fucking Gibson right. Corporation or whatever right. the fuck they're called. And that's that, what I'm saying. That's a real way to do it. Yeah, because you're also at that point like you're you're participating in this quote unquote real market, which even the stock market's kind of fucking fake. Let's yeah. be honest. But even that, like you're okay, you're you're investing in the company. In this, you are only investing in this one little specific thing, and you have to hope that that market just doesn't crumble. 
<laughs> just like Bitcoin, I've lost thousands of dollars in cryptocurrency. I, I learned that from that mistake. It's fake. It's not real. Right. If someone decides all of a sudden that it's not no longer real, the biggest the biggest financial experts in the world, Warren Buffett included, there are a couple guys, other guys that who's, who've all said that they would not invest in crypto right. because it is going, it's, it's a bubble real. and it's going to deflate, yeah. and it has a few times already. Sure. I, I, to me, it feels this whole thing, this not even just the guitars, but being able to invest in incremental shares of physical objects that you never get to have yourself feels. Ex- like an even a worse version of that that can only go down and all it's going to do is put money in corporate hedge fund managers pockets it's so funny because it's like we're investing in this physical object that we can never touch or hold Mm -hmm. so it's almost dumber than like an nft i think i kind of think it is and it's not even like these guitars i mean and i don't i haven't i haven't looked at everything that's available on there but we're just using these three gibson guitars as examples they're just prototypes like yeah, these aren't vintage instruments. They're not f- famous. They're not special in any way. No. They're just the, all they are are just these prototypes. One could of these even argue, guitars. you know, to take it back to a Gearbuds type of uh, topic. One could even argue that the prototype might not be the best version of what that guitar is. Which would only matter if you could fucking play the thing to begin with, <laughs> right. which you can't. That's so stupid. Dude. I just, dude, I almost, I, I was so upset. I'm not upset, but just like befuddled and confused by this whole thing yeah. as I was going through it. I almost didn't include it because I'm just like, I don't know how to have a cogent conversation about it because it is, it's so complicated intentionally, I think. It's confusing. Because if I, I just don't understand, I would love it if someone listening to this could give me a real explanation as to why someone in their right mind would spend a lot of money on something. And like the this. only thing, and here's the funny thing, like, let's say, let's just hypothetically say we both invested $1 yeah. into it. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, a year later, it's worth $5. Mm-hmm. I don't, why? I mean, what is, just because more people bought into it, that's the only thing that drives it up? Like. Be, be, I think it's because, so well, what will happen is, is they hope that the other people will have these objects that you can invest in and then the whole market will rate will rise up and a rising tide raises all ships. Right. That's the only way I could see why the value would go up. All I can I mean realistically it seems more way more likely to me that the value would go down because yeah. people are going to realize oh this is fucking stupid it's and it's so it, stupid. And I could just put say I was going to put $100 into this thing. I could just put that into a any sort of I could put that in the S&P 500 yeah. and next year it'll be worth $120. Right. And then at least you know that you're that's like a guaranteed growth fund. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is stupid. I don't understand. I, I truly do not understand it at all. And I spent I've spent time researching it both. Like I said, in the on the video game side of things, as well as this guitar thing. And when you when you get into the video game side of things, which has been going on for a few more years. Right. It is very clear that this is a scam. Oh, so yeah. I can't under I can't see it's almost how insulting. It, it wouldn't also be a scam for every other type of collectible. Doesn't too. it make you feel like Gibson's just like we think our fans are stupid? I I don't know. I mean, they didn't they didn't create this market. They didn't create but Rally as a company, but they've bought into it. Is so Fender in on it too? I haven't seen anything with Fender yet. All right. Uh, I know. I know how that might make you feel. No, no. I just. I don't know if it's just Gibson or if everybody's doing this. Like, I well, don't, you know. so it said they. Uh, there are more than three hundred assets either available to trade. Or, or coming or are coming soon with fit in 15 categories 10 added in the last year alone so it is a growth right. phase for this right now but it, again when you learn about the video game side of it and that it was heritage auctions them fucking sells right. buying it oh also i wanted to add so i mentioned the pawn stars thing they have they have been doing a lot of pr work so i i didn't know this i guess you know he calls his buddies to come in or whatever yeah. 
that is actually, it's, it's kind of the reverse. Wata or these other companies will contact Pawn Stars and be like, we want to come in and do something about video games. And then they sort of bring them in. It wasn't like someone brought a copy of Zelda in and it's then they're like, fake. we're going to call Wata. Yeah. Wata was like, we want to basically like promote our it's brand a commercial on for the here. Thing. Yeah. And the guy from Wada Games, who's in like the all the main press release videos, is the guy the who's been now on Pawn Stars three times. Oh, really? And each time, guess what? The prices have gotten a little bit higher. And and also, it turns out that the one thing that he was that he was uh, quote unquote verifying on the spot was something that they owned. So it's he was tr- he they were creating a false market around this thing that they want to be worth a lot of money. And 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 in that side of things, and I have to imagine it's going to be the same in guitars because this is what's always happened. It what it unfortunately prices us real enthusiasts out of the market, and yeah. this is I'm glad we got this because this is by far the thing that pisses me off the most. First of all, like sealed games and whatever, that's its, its own its own thing because you're never going to play it. But like you could, if you wanted to, take it out of the box and play it. But what's happening is even before hundred thousand dollars for a sealed copy of Mario is fucking insane. Yeah. But two million is. I will never have enough money to do that no matter whatever right. happens in my life. $100,000 theoretically someone could like maybe get around to that. But what you're, what's happening is that like real collectors, the people that have 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 maintained this world for decades now just like in the gear world have been already priced out. So it's like guys that have been trying like I I've got I collect Vectrex. It's my video game vintage collection thing and I have been fighting to get a full collection of that for a full in the box collection for years because I think it's awesome and I love it. There are now games there is one game that the cheapest one that I found is $15,000. And so it's, I will never do that. My, right. that my, the ability for me to get a complete collection, which is a thing that I've been trying to do. Even if you could afford it, it wouldn't I be would, worth. I wouldn't do it. Yeah, exactly. I, that's why I was talking about with my buddy Cappy. I was like, you know what? It's at the point now where I think I'm going to sell not, because I yeah. would never, ever, ever feel good about doing right. that. Even right. if, it, again, I want the collection so bad. I, I'm a collector. I love doing that kind of yeah. stuff. I have been priced out, and not only have I been priced out, I've been pushed out, and I and I want to sell because I don't want anything to do with that. Well, anymore. and you know, I think to go full circle with it, I think we could we could bring this back to like the vintage market, for instance. Exactly. You know? Like we've been we've both been priced out of buying a '63 Stratocaster. Yep. Like that, even if I had twenty thousand dollars to buy one, I'm not going to spend my money on that. It's but that's silly. because of supply and demand. That is not because of this other artificial market. Right. Thing. And now that the artificial side is happening, I'm extra scared. About I wonder how much happen. of that does happen with guitars, though. Like. I wonder how many are traded to stores and then traded back to people and like that does happen of course they fall into the same hands back and right. forth sometimes but I've been inside the belly of that beast a bit and I and and I don't think that's as bad as you'd think because yeah. it's what we're seeing is it's all for on the gear side it's all new stuff you're not buying shares of a burst although I have to imagine that's going to fucking happen right like someone's going to only... put a fucking burst on there right well, that's only a matter of time and then you could say I own a share of a burst and that I'll never what play does that actually mean that's just so dumb i'm i can't help and maybe we can close here i can't help but think of uh, a quote from one of my favorite shows in yours the office where um it's for some reason i don't remember the exact context but dwight is dwight's d- deciding that he wants to invest in real estate and he's like trying to figure out what to do oh yeah that's it's it's later it's a later episode when joe um played by kathy bates yeah. is like the new boss and she's like i think you're dumber than a dummy if you aren't spending that money on real estate right now and then he's like oh okay so he's like walking around and he goes downstairs and he's talking to hank the security guard and hank's like well you know i own a one-eighth property share of a timeshare down in florida and dwight goes well i'm one-eighth proud of you <laughs> but even with that 
you can still use it one eighth yeah. of the year. Yep. With this, you don't get how like a, a thousand shares. You don't get that guitar for a thousandth of the year. You you literally would only invest in it just to hope that it goes up. There's no other reason. Yes. To invest, unless in it, again, we're saying you're just kind of like so deeply up a company's butthole that you just like feel like you want to give them even more money, which, which I think again, you could just invest in the company itself. Yeah. Which if I, that's really what you wanted to do. I think there's going to be people that are definitely going to take, they're, the Oh, they're all, they Gibson wouldn't get involved in this if they, if they weren't going to make some think, money yeah. on it, which it, like I, I go back to saying I, I'm insulted to think like that. Everybody's this stupid, but that said folks listening <laughs> to this, if you want us to, to experiment and you want us to buy some shares, Send us some dough. We'll put our Venmos out yeah. there. We will take the fucking plunge <laughs> and, and and hopefully ruin it for everyone else because I just, I, I hate it, dude. The more that I talk about it, I hate yeah. this. Again, I think it's tacky to tell people how to spend their money, but fuck this. Yeah. I hate this. This really upsets me because I do see, I'm afraid that of what it's going to do to the, to the gear market. I, I could see this doing actual real detrimental because, damage to the market. Because the people who want to actually buy the physical thing will pay more now for that. And you're, you're going to see, again, it's like the Mario thing. It's like, well, wh- if someone bought it for $2 million, doesn't that mean it's worth $2 million now? Right. But it's not because the, it's, you don't, you don't always, you don't get to do, not everybody does the investigative digging to find out that, oh, this was actually bought by the guy who's going to sell it later. Right. So the, the guy who, the only person on earth who stands to benefit from overpaying for this is the one who bought it. So that he can then sell it for more money later because he owns the company that sells the things. Interesting. I'm so, and I'm, and, and that's, they even said, and when I read their sort of mission statement, rally are the ones buying these things themselves. They're the ones who they stand to make money from it. Yeah, they own it. Yeah, of course. Just like heritage auctions and these other places, man. It, this is really, this is really raised my blood heritage, Yeah. Let's. Let's move on. Well, that's it, man. That was that was that what I wanted. Got? That was what I we wanted. We can't end to. on that. Okay, you don't, you don't think so? It's depressing. All right, fine. I'll talk about a super nerdy fucking tech let's, thing. Let's nerd that. in. Let's nerd in first. Last second. thing, then. Although this is kind of this is kind of the opposite. This is something that um, I've railed against a little bit, and and I think anybody who's listened to this show for a long time would know that I'm no fan of Bluetooth. I, ah, I kind of fucking hate Bluetooth. I know where you're actually. Going with I, this. I I enjoy Bluetooth for its convenience, but I don't enjoy Bluetooth because they charge a lot of money for the headphones, and the Bluetooth codec standard does not allow for the transmission of full high resolution right. audio. And and to be fair, I just want to throw this out there: I've never once listened to a Bluetooth head, headset before. Well, I'll tell you, Dave. I uh, recently lost my pair of Bluetooth I, headphones. I was here when they came in the mail, the new ones, and right? I bought some, uh, and I bought the new Airpo- AirPods Pro. They're convenient. They're extremely convenient. They sound great. The connection quality is good. They sound great for what you're used to with Bluetooth. Right. However, there has been some advancement in this in this field, and I want to talk about it. So, um, recently, I mean, I, I think we've I th- we've definitely talked about it. Lossless streaming has right. become more of a thing. Tidal had it last year. Now Spotify and Apple both offer it. Um, although I've experimented it with it uh, on Spotify, and you've AB'd like. I've AB, but well, what I've really experimented with is the data usage and loss. It turns out lossless streaming just churns through data. Like, yeah. I, you I know, could imagine. I have whatever, like 15 gigs a month or whatever with AT&T on my phone, and it just like fucking cooked through really? it real fast. So I had to turn it back down to like standard. Wow. It's still high quality. the files are so big. Fun. Is that why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The files is just churning through data. Well, so this has become a thing. It used to be titled, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Chipmaker Qualcomm is adding a new flavor to its aptX Bluetooth codec. 
and it's a lossless one that, in ideal conditions, the company claims delivers CD quality, 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz audio streaming over a wireless connection. Wow. Which, again, CD quality, there are many arguments that you can have about this. I personally record at a higher resolution and bit rate than that, but the reason that we got to CD quality 16-bit 44.1 back in the day was because it's theoretically 44.1 is double the capability of what humans can hear. Right. There are, again, there are still arguments that can be made either way. Most quote unquote high quality lossless streaming is done at like 2496 right now, but CD quality is still fucking dope, right? And if you could get that over Bluetooth, that would be even doper. Qualcomm says its improvements to its Bluetooth high speed link technology deliver the required data, data throughput required to stream a lossless track wirelessly. I think it's at 192 because it says then they can also compress the signal down to 24-bit 96 to ensure you don't experience any interruptions. Basically, what happens is the Bluetooth codec itself is still limited, but they have figured out ways on the headphone side to include a little chip in there that will allow for it. However, that also means that either you have to have one of the brand new Android phones that come with the the proper chip on that side, or you have to still carry around a USB-C digital audio, a DAC, basically. That's to, what to I was going to ask. Yeah, this is a hardware issue then? It's a hardware. A it's both. It, yeah. I mean, but they're essentially, Qualcomm has figured out a way to sort it out via hardware. Because what you, it, it, typically, if you're the sort of person that would carry around a high-quality converter for your phone, you're using wired headphones. Like, that mm-hmm. was the only way to use it and actually get the most out of that quality. Right. Which is why I prefer those anyways. Exactly. I mean, yeah. But... If, if you're all about the convenience of wireless, which I've got to say, walking around with wired headphones for a week, I fucking hated it. And I just stopped wearing headphones because yeah. it's like going to the grocery store. I was just like, this sucks. I'm like getting stuck on stuff and yeah. getting pulled out or whatever. T- I'm telling you, man, I run it down my shirt. It's the best thing ever. I guess, but I, you know, I, I like if you turn out, your head too fast, it'll turn, well, like I, I want to like look at my phone to look at my shopping list right. and stuff, and like, uh, yeah, no, you're right. Then it's kind of your wired. Or in. if you're like exercising, there are a number of reasons yeah. why I think wireless headphones are way better. They're the future for sure. Now Qualcomm is making the steps in the right direction and building it into the earbuds themselves. So, so they're a company that's going to build it into like they're going to sell that technology to Apple, you think? Or so, do they have their well, own headphones? I think Apple's going to do it themselves eventually. There are going to be, they've already announced some Android phones that with the chips built into the phone itself will have a high enough quality converter to, to theoretically work on, normal, work on it. On whatever Bluetooth headphones you have? No, only on the special headphones gotcha, with this okay. Aptex codec and technology that can properly decipher that code. So That's pretty cool. I, again, it's nerdy. It I hasn't hear really happened yet. But I, 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 I want to hear the difference too. I just know that I've listened to enough Bluetooth headphones to know that they don't do fucking high quality audio. Do you think it's going to be like? Remember when um, like HD video like first came out in like mm-hmm. the like late nineties, early two yeah. thousands or whatever, and like you saw it, and you, it was almost like it. Your brain couldn't like take in like what was actually going totally. on. Totally, and if now it looked, if, it looked like fake or like. And now, if you watch anything that's not HD, it, like it like some kind of nuts. monster. In fact, I know it's, it's yeah. in four three like right. You know, aspect ratio. So I wonder if, HD. if sound is going to be like that now. Where I hope so, and, but I I worry that I don't know if worry is the right word. I just don't know if most people care. Yeah, you know? I don't think so because like that doesn't matter if you're listening to your phone speaker. Right. It doesn't matter what the fucking quality of the. Fo- it's only if you're interested. In hearing it, but the, here's the other thing. I think I I do hope 
I have hum- some hope for this and, and that it will be like HD because I don't know about you, but I knew a lot of people that were like HD. I don't give a shit. But then when you show them what it looks like, it's like, oh, now I get it. Yeah. I hope that people who are only used to low quality audio and like phone speakers or laptop speakers will hear what it's like to hear real high quality uncompressed audio and be like oh this is a different thing like this is it's sort of like seeing something hd on a tv for the first time i I hope i don't know i'm not sure but i know that i care and i am super excited to know that i never have to worry about wires in the future (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean i think it's definitely a as somebody who's never had bluetooth headphones yeah and i use my bluetooth speaker a lot but that i expect that to sound shitty anyways because it's like a 30 dollars speaker but the point is, I think once I go, once I cross that bridge, I'm never going back. That know? and that's where I am. I I I fought the Bluetooth headphones. I it's randomly I'm afraid I'm going to them for free. Yeah, and they were just like a you know like a seventy five dollar pair of headphones. They weren't that expensive yeah. or anything. But once I got them, I was like, oh, this is comfy. This is yeah. way better. Yeah, yeah, I can't go back. And mm-hmm. then I went back, and I was like, I definitely can't go back. And then I spent money on Apple AirPods Pro because I just a wanted. The convenience, but part part of it, truth, truthfully, was that I just know a lot. That's how a lot of people listen to music, mm-hmm. and I want to be able to hear what my mixes and stuff sound Absolutely. like. Absolutely, but and that that is important. I, that's that's sort of separate from this whole discussion, though. So either way, I'm very excited to know that there are still advances being made in this Bluetooth Bluetooth world, and that yeah. people actually do care about it enough to, at the company level, invest in it, and then. Hopefully that trickles down to the I rest of the world. I wonder if they'll give it a name like Bluetooth two or something like that. They do, you know? yeah, they yeah. they do. I think they're all, they're already on like three. I think okay. at this point, so yeah. there have been a number of like USB has had the number of protocol right, updates. Bluetooth right. will also have that, and we'll continue to have that. But again, it requires the headset makers and the phone makers or whatever you're listening on to have the proper chips and those things as well to be able to speak to each other and convert all this stuff. And, cool. and it's not cheap, you know. And part of it too yeah. is I think like most DACs. I don't, I, there's going to have to be some more work done to um, miniaturize them because so much of making these phones and things are about the space and all the stuff that you can fit inside. Mm-hmm. So you're, in order to get like a proper converter on an iPhone, your phone's going to be like twice as fat right now. So they're going to have to do more work to actually like miniaturize. Physically, physically they're yeah. going to have to miniaturize. Those so components. you're saying there are hardware converters right now. Totally. But yeah. you, again, you have to plug, you have to plug your wired headphones into them. Right. And a lot of people do that. You'll see that sometimes, especially like with laptops, people will have like just like a little phone size, little uh, USB dongle coming off. Mm-hmm. And that is a digital audio converter. It's the same thing. It's like, it's essentially an interface. That's yeah. I was all just it about is. to say, like, it's like you could carry right. around your focus, right? right. Like that's good. But it's, it's a much smaller version <laughs> yes, of that. Imagine yes. shrinking that down. Which would actually phone. be great, you know, for podcasts and like portable, you know, if you're oh, absolutely. out of hotel rooms and shit like that. hundred yeah. percent. So that's, it's the same idea, right? It's, but the interface combines analog inputs. It combines it does digital audio conversion it does, or digital to analog conversion. It also does analog to digital. Okay. What you really need is the digital to analog converter. And that's why it's called a DAC. And that's what people carry around to plug their headphones into. Cool. Yeah. So that's it, man. That, well, we shit. didn't end on the, we didn't end on the yeah. sad stuff. We added on some hopeful stuff. I'm you're, smiling again. You're smiling again. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll go buy some rally shares. See how that feels. Yeah. Probably fucking not. Cause we'll, fuck that. We'll let them know next week. Well, wow, it's going. once, once the IPO for those three <laughs> guitars comes out and, I, you know, dude, I just got to say, like, I feel like in general, we've made an effort to be less sort of like naysay negative yeah. on this show. But man, that one just really gets. Yeah, me I could tell your blood. I really turned a little red during it, that. One. I, it just feels insulting to, to our intelligence, I think, in some ways. Yeah. But again, if you're listening to this and you know more about the space than we do, I would love to be proven wrong and told why this, this is a good Call idea. In, so we can talk and let us know. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll awesome. have you on the show. So Mark Ignisi, if you're listening, if you want to <laughs> fucking talk about it, dude, I'd love to have you on. You know, and it's, I'll just quickly mention before we go that I have had a couple people sort of uh, past 
potential guests that couldn't be on have reached out and said that they would be on. So maybe cool. we'll, maybe we'll, I, I really have grown to love this format. I love that the duo for ourselves. Yeah. Maybe we'll spice it up at yeah. some point and get some guests in. I the think future, that'd be fun. I don't, don't hold your breath folks. Cause honestly, I just like, I, I way prefer it this way because yeah. we can just do make the show that we want to make. And, mm-hmm. and I think our fans appreciate that. So free balling. Thank you so much for listening this deep. We really appreciate it. Join us again next week. I keep forgetting to say that. I want to say, yeah. come back next week. And again, if you made it this far, go make some music. <laughs>